just up to two minutes to introduce. I know that how many of you know Holly Corning? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you have no idea who Holly Corning is? Okay, only about 10 people. All right, well, I didn't know Holly Corning is, well, I don't know how she feels about it. I like to say she is ours. She is our sister. She is from our church here at Mossbrook, and uh, we are so thankful for her and her ministry. She is a missionary in the country of Turkey and has been there for some 11 plus years serving the Lord there, and we are so happy to have her home with us for a few weeks, and I'm going to ask her if she'll come and just give us a little update of what's going on and what God's doing through her. Good morning. I'm very happy to be yours, so no problem with that. Um, yeah, I've been serving. It's actually been 12 years, and um, this year, on February 6th, we woke up as normal, and I got a text from a friend, and she said, are you okay? And that's never the text you want to get from a friend. She was in the States, which meant she's reading the news. Something has happened in Turkey overnight, and I don't know what it is. And I got on the news real fast, and I found out uh, in eastern Turkey, we had just had an earthquake, and it was a 7.8. Huge devastation. And that whole day, we kind of like shook as we're like, what is happening? And as the news rolled in, eight hours later, and 90 miles away from that first earthquake, we had a second one of the same size. That region was devastated. 13 million people were affected. In an area that spreads, if we drew a line from South Paris, Maine to New York City, that's huge, right? You can picture that, or maybe you can't because it's too big. That area of Turkey was wiped out. Now, here in Maine, we have these cute little houses and our little yards, and it's really nice. But in Turkey, people live in apartment buildings, and they like their apartment buildings to be close. They want to be next to their neighbor. They don't want space. They are not Mainers. <laughs> and so when those apartments fell, they just crumbled on top of each other, fell over and knocked into each other. That number was at 50,000 people dead. And my guess is... That number is lower than reality. My guess is they just stopped reporting it. And so the next day was actually my 40th birthday, and I had some friends come from out of town, and we sat together, and we cried together, and we texted our friends together, and we said, what do we do? And a lot of people said, we need to go now. We need to get to that front line. We need to help now. And I thought, you know what? Those of you who followed my story know I've struggled with some health. I no longer have muscles. Oh, wait, I never did. I was not the person to go to the front lines. And I said, I can write emails. And so I wrote emails. And most of you read those emails. And thank you. You were a part. Chris Starr is the organization I work for. Chris Starr wrote recently and said, we raised half a million dollars to send to the front line. You were a part of that. So thank you. And that money was sent directly from Christar and from you to us on the front lines. And then we were able to get that. Who are the people that, that need it the most? What are the issues that are the really biggest ones? And so we were able to get it where it needed to go. Now, 20 years ago, actually a little more than that, 24 years ago, I guess, we had a huge earthquake in Turkey. Turkey is on a lot of fault lines. And so as we look past in Turkey, as we look forward, we will always have stories of earthquakes, unfortunately. So 20 plus years ago, we had a large earthquake in Turkey. And at that time, 
after the earthquake, the foreigners, the workers, the people like me stepped up and said, how can we be a part of the relief efforts? How can we be a part of helping these people? And it was the foreigners in Turkey and foreigners coming to Turkey that really were a part of those relief efforts. Praise God, this time around, it wasn't the foreigners. It was the Turkish church. It was Turkish pastors. It was pastors who had just survived that earthquake who said, there's work to be done. Here's what's going to happen. And they rose up. And it was us as foreigners who came under them and said, how can we serve? What would you like us to do? That's a turning in the church. And that's huge. And that's what we're praying for. And so praise God. We had these believers that said, okay, you do this, you do that. And listen, if you are a praying person, and I hope you are, pray for those leaders. They're exhausted. This is February that this happened. And it has been nonstop since then. They have lost people they loved. They have lost family. They have lost their everything. And they've continued to stay in that that area of devastation to keep their church going, to keep reaching out to their community, to keep being a light. And what we're seeing coming out of that, praise God, is the churches in that area are saying, our churches are filled every week. Praise God. This is in a country that's 99.2% Muslim. This is a country that when I moved there 12 years ago, there were 3,000 believers. They're saying there's now maybe 10,000. And so every week, these churches are full. Another church reported that we're actually taking two buses, and we're driving to different areas to pick up people because they want to come to church. And I recently heard that there are two new churches that are starting from, you know, if you were here the early days of Moss Brook, we started in, in a basement, right? And then we grew to what we are here. So that's what's happening there is new churches are forming. So praise God. Now, a lot of those people did not stay in those cities. Um, They've decided, I have no job. I have no nothing. All the people I love died. I'm out of here. And they've moved. And a lot, as I mentioned, a lot of Turkey is on fault lines. And so they're not wanting to move from one area where there's earthquakes to a different area where there's probably going to be an earthquake. So they've looked for cities that are not on the fault line. And Ankara, which is the city where I live, is not on a fault line. Do we get earthquakes? Yeah. Actually, that second earthquake, we are about an eight-hour drive away, and we felt it in Ankara. And so, but a lot of these people are saying Ankara is a much safer city, and so they're moving to Ankara. And so we have a new opportunity of here are these people from the east. They've come to Ankara where there are quite a few churches. And how do we reach them, and how do we be a part of their lives? So there's a lady, I'm going to call her Julia, and Julia has been coming to our fellowship, and she's a question asker, like just nonstop, middle of the sermon, interrupting, asking questions. She's fun. Um, and she is saying, hey, look it, Islam is like this, and Christianity is like this, and they're kind of the same, right? So I can have both, right? And what Julia's slowly realizing is that she really likes Jesus. She really wants Jesus. And in Islam, he's there, and he's a good prophet. But she's realizing in Christianity, he's more than that. And she wants that. And she doesn't want to let go of Islam. But she wants Jesus. And as she's asking these questions, she's seeing more and more she's going to have to pick. So pray for Julia. Pray that she would see Christ for who he really is, that he's the Messiah, that he's the one that's going to answer her, her longings in her heart. Pray for these people who have lost everything. So on top of an earthquake... We were going through an economic crisis. This has been going on for several years. Last year in 
uh, November, my landlord wrote to me and said, okay, it's that time of year where I raise your rent. And we negotiated a little bit. And we agreed on an increase of 72%. That was a compromise. He wanted 100%. So I was really happy, 72%. Now, legally, they are allowed to raise my rent by 25%. But nobody is following that. And so if I fight for that, then he's going to say, you know what, it was really nice, Holly, to have you live in my apartment, but bye. And I'm going to go and pay way more at a new place. So we had that. That was going on. Now we have all 13 million people who are displaced. They're all coming to Ankara. They're looking for homes. And so this year, I had a nice little chat with my landlord, and he said, Holly, uh, you know, what are you thinking? I said, oh, let's go up by 100%. And he said, Holly, you know that that's not a fair number. And the number that we've agreed on for this year is an increase from last year's 72%. It's a new 283% increase. And so that's the reality right now in Turkey. And you know, praise God, I, I have money in dollars. I don't know wh what's going to happen with my friends. And so I want to live a generous life. And I also want to be aware that suddenly my expenses have doubled and tripled and, you know, groceries, everything. They're all following that trend. And so right now, if you don't know me, you don't know much about my story, those of you who know me know I'm, I'm on support. I don't have a job in Turkey except to represent you and to be a part of the church in Turkey and to love people and to be in their life. And so I'm not making an income except from what you guys send. So thank you. This is a generous church. I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but usually when I look at numbers, 50% of what I get in a month comes from Mossbrook and the people of Mossbrook. So thank you for that. So right now, I just talked to the home office and they said, Holly, you need $400 more a month to be at where you currently are. And I might, right now I'm living off of 80% what they suggest. I could go up a little more. So I have to look and say, okay, with my rent going up, do I really need to increase back to 100% of what they're suggesting? All that to say, if you're a generous person, and as um, <laughs> PT mentioned, you are. If you want to be a part of what God's doing in Turkey and be a part of my support team, I'm looking for new people to be a part, to stand with me and uh, be a part of what God's doing there. So somewhere near you on a chair um, is a little piece of paper that looks like this. If you don't get my newsletter and you're like, hey, I don't know who this lady is. I don't know what she's talking about. I send out a story every other month. I'd love to get you to be a part of that. If you fill that out, it's either hard copy or uh, email, whatever you prefer. I love sending out hard copy if that means you'll read it. So um, whichever you prefer. On there is also, hey, I'd love to find out how to support you. So if you're already getting my newsletter, but you'd love to ask about support, that can be on there. Um, when you're done, this is not, let me just say this real quick, this is not an electronic device. I know some of you are really confused. You think it is. You'll all fill this out, and then you'll all put it in your purse or your Bible or your pocket, and you'll walk away. And I won't have that information. So if you want me to have the information, fill it out. You can leave it right on your chair. You can put it at the back table. You can give it to Melody, any of those things. Um, and I'll make sure you get on the list. All right. Thanks, guys. Good to see you all. Thank you, Holly. We're so grateful to have Holly in Turkey representing our Lord Jesus Christ and us. 
And I want to just take a moment, if we can, before we go any further, to pray together for Holly, to pray for the need there in Turkey, for her need personally of support and everything that's going on there. We're going to hear from Holly again a little bit more later before she heads back to Turkey, and she is going to be around. So if you would like her to come and, and share with your small group, or if you'd just like to have her in your home and get to know her a little bit more, please make sure you see her afterwards and you can set that up. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we are so thankful to know that you are the God who controls all things. You know exactly what's going on in Turkey. You know exactly how many people there are yours and how, much, how great the need is. We pray for Holly and the rest of her team, too, as they continue to reach into these communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will soften people's hearts. We pray for Julia this morning, that she will keep asking those questions and that your Holy Spirit would open her eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We also understand that the reality is that it costs in order for Holly to be there. She needs that support, and we want to be that for her. And we thank you for the generosity of your people that has allowed us to give in the way that we have. But, Father, you know, you know that there needs to be more. There must be an increase in order for her to pay her expenses, to be there, to share the gospel with people. So I pray that you will lay it on the hearts of your children uh, to give, to be generous to understand that the most important thing in the world is the message of the gospel going to those who need it, both here and there. So we pray that you will soften our hearts to that as well, that we will continually walk with you and trust you for every step of our lives, and we pray the same for Holly as she serves you there. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. just mention a couple things. If you are interested in being part of the Trunk or Treat uh, community outreach in a couple of weeks or, I don't know, a week, week and a half, I don't know. Uh, whenever that is, October 31st, uh, we'd love to have you a part of that. If you have questions about it or want to know more about it, see uh, Crystal. She'll be at the back table there and she can tell you a little bit more, give you a little bit more details of how you can participate. also just want to say a quick thanks to all the guys who helped uh, tighten things up around here uh, this weekend. It is much appreciated. This is an excellent Sunday for us to have a little bit more secure sides and doors and a furnace. So uh, thank you guys for that. I hope that it gives you a little bit of hope for the next few weeks until we get into the uh, building. As you might guess, it will probably get cooler between now and when we're able to be in there. So thankfully, we've got the heat now. We're grateful for it. Uh, the other day, uh, I don't drink coffee myself. Some of you may know that. Um, kind of weird that way. But I did see a Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup and I was talking to somebody, and they were holding it in their hand. They were drinking from it. And I noticed that it had some writing, besides, you know, the DD logo and all that, it had some other writing. It was a little bit smaller. And so I looked a little bit more closely and read what it said. You know what it said? It said, warning, content's hot. <laughs> and I thought to myself, isn't that expected when we go through the drive-thru and buy boiling lava hot coffee that what's going to be in that cup is hot, but 
I guess that's just the world that we live in. You know, everybody's afraid of getting sued, and so they have ridiculous labels. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but there is actually a wacky label contest that takes place every year in our country, and people are invited to submit these crazy labels that they see. Some of the most recent ones that have won awards, <laughs> dubious awards, I guess. There was a folding stroller that had a sign on the side of it that said, please remove baby before folding. <laughs> These are true. A seven-inch inflatable globe that said, do not use for navigation. An electric razor that said, do not use while sleeping. I don't know that it's ever occurred to me to do that even, but uh, a t-shirt transfer that said, do not iron on while wearing. <laughs> Perhaps due in part to how ridiculous some of these warnings are, we find in our world that people uh, don't heed warnings very well. Uh, every year, I'm sure you have seen this or heard about it in the news every year, unfortunately, there are people who die in hurricanes and tornadoes in our country despite having ample warning, despite having the time to, to pack up and leave and, and get out of there, they still die because people wait. They want to confirm the threat before they act. They're unwilling to take someone's word for it. Now, unfortunately, spiritually, often we're in the same boat. We have the same tendencies. God's word is very clear about the dangers of sin and self, about the consequences of living our own way, about the need to repent and the imminence of Christ's return. And yet, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what is it going to take to get people to act? to get people to respond to these warnings. If you've been with us the last few months, this is week 34 of our 40-week study in the book of Hebrews. And one of the characteristics that we've seen about Hebrews is that there are warnings throughout the book. There are seven of them all together, and we've looked at five of them already. We talked about uh, don't drift away from salvation. Don't harden your heart to the Word of God. Don't remain immature. Don't reject Christ. And the last one we looked at was don't despise the grace of God. Remember that for our overall theme in Hebrews, we're looking to Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we're seeing His superiority. We're seeing His deity. And we're seeing the wonderful salvation that he has provided for us, and what we're invited to do in the book of Hebrews, all we have to do, which is the toughest thing for many of us to do, is to humble ourselves and repent of our sin, to submit ourselves to God while we still have the chance. What we're going to see here this morning is that if we do not do that, the writer warns us here in Hebrews chapter 12 that lack of submission to God results in bitterness of the soul. That's the warning. Lack of submission to God results in bitterness of the soul. So let's grab our Bibles if you have yours with you this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 
And we're going to start reading in verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be on the screen and you can follow along. Let's read verses 12 and 11. The writer says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now, I want you to notice there at the beginning of verse 12 is the word therefore. We've talked about it a lot. It appears often in the book of Hebrews. And what the writer is saying when he does that is he wants you to know this, what's coming up, in light of the previous verses, in light of what we have talked about before and what we have heard. So what did we hear last week? Man, you got a good memory, Sue, because that was like two or three weeks ago. <laughs> but we did talk about that. And last week we talked about, remember, the D word? Not that D word, the other D word. Discipline, right? Embracing discipline and pursuing holiness. And so the writer is saying, in light of what we learned last time in these preceding verses about the evidence of discipline in our lives, remember God disciplines us because He, what? Loves us. He cares about us. And He wants us to grow and to change and to learn. And so the writer says, in light of that, now we must do something. Whenever we look at the Word of God and we have a section of truth that we're looking at and it explains doctrine to us, then we must, after that, do something. God's Word is not just to study and collect information. It's so that we might study and learn and change. So that's what he's saying here. Because of what we learned before in those verses, we need to get moving. We need to get going. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question I want to ask you this morning, in light of what we talked about last week, if you were here, if not, we'll catch you up, what are you doing in pursuit of that holiness? What steps have you taken? This is what he's going to ask. What steps have you taken to become more like Christ? What's the plan? You need to hitch up your drawers and you need to get moving and not stay where you are. It's the same when we're talking about our physical lives, isn't it? We say, well, we need to get in shape. And maybe it happens after, I don't know, maybe it happens after trunk or treat. And you bring home 40 pounds of candy. And you spend the next three days living on candy and sugar. And then you get to the end of it and your stomach hurts and your pants are too tight. And you say, what? I got to do something. I've got to get rid of this, and I've got to get rid of it fast because Thanksgiving is coming in three and a half weeks, and I've got to do it all over again. You're not going to get in any better shape until you start doing something, right? Until you get up, get moving, make a plan. Do whatever you can. I, I've heard people talk about this before. Well, well I, you know, I'm not a runner. I can't, I can't get out there and run a couple of three miles every day. Then walk. Do whatever it is that you can do. Take the first step. And that's what the writer is talking about here. Notice some of the language that he used. He says, lift your drooping hands. <laughs> can you picture the guy he's talking to? 
The word drooping there literally means relaxed. I don't know if you ever think about this or you ever feel this way, but spiritually speaking at least, often we're too relaxed. (laughs) We're too relaxed. Do you understand what's going on here in our world? Do you see what's happening out there? You see Satan and the forces of evil pushing against us in our communities and our children, in our minds. And he says, lift up your drooping hands. You're too relaxed. Make straight paths. This is interesting. Make straight paths which lead to healing. This analogy here reminds me of physical therapy. If you have an injury or you have surgery, often afterwards, after you recover sufficiently, the doctor will prescribe physical therapy. And physical therapy is simply intentional exercises to strengthen and train your muscles. Uh, It's been about 10 years now, but when Gavin was 15... We were on the lake on a summer afternoon tubing with some friends and he was on the tube and it hit a rogue wave and he cartwheeled about 10 feet in the air and hit the water rung and broke his leg, broke his femur right in half, snapped it. And he had to have surgery, put a titanium rod in there and put some screws in there to pull it back together and hold it back together. And, of course, Melody and I were with him the whole time, and we were our minds were going 100 miles a minute and wondering what this meant and his recovery. And I thought, oh, my goodness. At 15, he was taller than me and heavier than me, and I'm like, I can't carry this kid around. How is he going to get around? And 10 hours after the surgery, do you know what he was doing? Walking. They came in, nurse came in, all right, get out of bed, time to get up, time to get moving. I'm thinking, the kid's just broken his leg, be careful. He's like, nope, got to get up, got to get moving. We went to physical therapy, and every time we went, the first thing the physical therapist would do is have Gavin stand on the other side of the room and walk towards him, and he would watch how he was walking. He would watch his gait, how he stepped. And then he would help Gavin to exercise so that he would get it right. He said, if we don't do this right, then you'll harm your other joints and your other muscles. That's what the writer is talking about here. Make straight paths that lead to healing. You see, here's what happens in our lives, folks. We, We have to build new patterns, new habits in our lives to replace the old ones. Whatever it is that we struggle with, whatever sins there are that present themselves in our minds every day that we struggle with, we need to establish new patterns and new paths that lead us away from those things. We are all, to some extent, creatures of habit. We do the same things over and over and over. And as we do those things the same way, day after week after month after year after decade, they wear grooves in our minds. And pretty soon we realize 
we're not even thinking about what we're doing. We're just living the way that we always live. And for us to pursue holiness, if we're going to put into practice what we talked about last week and learn and become more Christ-like, we need to do some hard work. We need to establish some new patterns. We need to wear some new grooves into our lives and let the old ones grow over from lack of use. That's what he's talking about. Also, when I think of straight paths, I think of geometry, don't you? No? Nobody thinks about geometry too much? You know this one. I know you're not math wizards, but you, I don't know. Maybe there's a math wizard out there. But you know this one. What's the shortest distance between two points? A straight line, right? Make straight paths, he says. Why does he say that? Every time we deviate from that path... Every time we deviate from this plan, these steps that we are going to take to become more like Christ, in other words, every time we sin, what do we do? We extend the journey to holiness. See where you are right now? God doesn't want you to be there in five years. He wants you to be there. He wants you to be closer to Him, more like Christ, less like your selfish, self-focused self. And the fastest way to get there is what? A straight line. A straight line. Make straight paths that lead to healing. Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this is an interesting verse. If you've ever read it before or you're just noticing it now, obviously we look at the first part of that verse and we think peace with others is certainly part of our holiness journey. Don't we joke about this all the time, you know, about on your way to work and the guy that cuts you off and the special things that you want to tell him when that happens? And so we all understand that peace with others is part of our holiness journey. He talks about that right here. But the second half of the verse is a little confusing if we're not careful with how we interpret it. Now, I want you to understand that this verse is about practical holiness. Remember, we've, we're already talking about that. Last week was the doctrine. Last week was the learning, the understanding. Now, this week, it's about the doing. So this is about our practical holiness Positionally, if you are in Christ, you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a believer, then you are holy, you are saved, you are redeemed, and you are secure. Okay. Your salvation is not in question. Your destiny in heaven with the Lord is not in doubt. It's not in jeopardy. So what it doesn't mean is that we won't get to heaven if we don't reach a certain level of holiness after our salvation. How many people thought that's what it meant when you read it the first time? You're like, hey, wait a second there. Strive for holiness without which we won't see God. Does that mean if I don't get to a certain level that I'm not going to get to heaven? Is that what it means? No, that's not what it means. 
because we know our salvation is sure. Without which no one will see the Lord. He is not saying that you won't see the Lord if you're a believer. He is not saying that if you aren't holy enough, you won't make it. I want to suggest to you that he is talking about our practical, everyday holiness, which we often refer to as our testimony or our reputation. What he is saying is this. If we don't strive for peace with everyone, if we don't strive for holiness, how will others be able to see the Lord in us? That's what he's saying. Without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. This is what Christ was talking about in John chapter 13, his last night with the disciples before he was arrested. And in John 13, 34 and 35, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Notice this next line. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our holiness, our Christ-likeness is our greatest possible testimony to those who need Jesus. And we need to vigorously pursue this holiness. Strive for it, he says, zealously, actively, intentionally, it will not just happen. A bunch of us just got back a couple of days ago from our annual bird hunting trip up north, up Greenville area, out on the Golden Road in the North Main Woods. We went up to hunt birds. We go up every year. And I have to make a confession here for those of you that have never done this. Usually when we go up there and hunt, I'm not really sure how much actual hunting it is. I know there are other guys are going to be mad at me because they're like, we tell everybody we work really hard for this. I got to tell you how this works. We get in trucks with the heat on. The trucks generally have a certain poundage or tonnage of candy and snacks. And we drive around woods roads until these poor, unfortunate little birds come out into the road. We stop the truck. We get out of the truck. We shoot the bird. We throw it in the back of the truck. Then we get back in with the heat and eat more candy. I, I'm sorry, guys. They needed to know. That's what usually happens. This year, however, apparently because of the weather and other factors, there are hardly any birds up there. We did see a few. And on Wednesday morning, the truck that I was in with Curtis and Sean and Gavin, we saw 10 birds, which was a lot for what was happening up there this year. But here's the thing. Every time we stopped the truck, the birds flew off. 
And at first, we were very annoyed by this. Hey, you're supposed to stay in the road so that we can shoot you. (laughs) But they weren't doing that. And so we were going into the woods in order to do it, in order to find them, to track them down. Now, the lingo that we use is bird-dogging. We go bird-dogging out into the woods. Now, I am old and lazy, and I like my birds in the road. (laughs) So usually, if a bird flies into the road, I say, I'll stay out here on the road in case he flies back. You guys, that's true. That's, That's my preferred lane. But this time I knew if I don't get into the woods, I am not going to get a bird. So I dutifully went into the woods with Curtis and Sean and Gavin, and we all spread out, and we're walking down through the woods, and I'm walking, and I'm tripping over branches, and I'm stepping in mud, and I'm getting swatted in the face by spruce boughs. And about 100 feet in, I'm like, I guess there's no birds in here. So I'm starting to turn around and walk the other way. Meanwhile, the other guys, Gavin especially, was hundreds of feet into the woods so far that we couldn't see him or hear him or anything. And I started walking back to the truck, and all of a sudden I hear, boom. And very faintly I hear, I got it. (laughs) That was Gavin. He was hollering, but he was so deep in the woods, that's what it sounded like. And you know what? Those are the only birds we got. (laughs) were the ones that we went way deep into the woods after them, pursuing them vigorously. That's the actual Greek word that the writer uses here when he talks about how we are to pursue peace and holiness. Strive, pursue, chase it down. My friends, there has got to be some intentionality there. What we learned this year is those birds are not going to hop up into the back of the truck by themselves. And you and I are not going to be holy incidentally. It's only going to happen if we pursue it, if we fight for it, if we make a plan. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. I want you to notice here too that there's a community aspect to all of this. See to it, he says. Look at it, care for it, consider it with real interest. We need to encourage others, each other, to pursue holiness as well. And the full experience of the grace of God. He says, I want you to look around. I want you to look at the people who are sitting beside you this morning, to the people that you talked to when you came in, those who you will talk to before you leave, those who are in your small group if you are in one. And I want you to make sure they don't miss it. Make sure that they pursue holiness too. I want you to notice what happens when we fail to yield to the grace of God and we fail to submit to the plan that He has for our lives. The verse here says that bitterness springs up. Bitterness springs up 
He's talking here about those who identify with God's people but then fall into persistent and deliberate sin. The writer here says bitterness happens. That is, we become arrogant toward God and and willing to give up our sin, and then after that, bitterness comes. Toward God, toward His will, toward His sovereignty. Bitterness is Bitterness is harshness. Bitterness is resentment. And it grows and it spreads and it infests like a weed. I want you to see this as well. It also draws the bitter person deeper into sin because it feeds our natural sense of rebellion in our hearts and our apathy and creates a disgust of all things that are not holy, or all things that are holy, rather. He uses the example of Esau. I don't know if you know the story of Esau or not, but Esau was a twin brother of Jacob. They were Isaac's sons, Abraham's grandsons, and Esau, though the oldest of the twins, was not happy with his lot in life. And he felt he deserved more, and he was, he was actually angry about it. He didn't value the things of God. He didn't value what God had given to him. And he became more sinful. And through a series of circumstances that you can read about in the book of Genesis, he ended up trading his entire birthright for a bowl of stew. He was the eldest. He would inherit everything from his father, and he traded it all for a meal. That's how little he valued what God had given him. Now, there's a little bit more to the story. You'll see it in verse 17 in Hebrews 12. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So to make a sad story even more sad, later Esau regretted what he had done. He regretted his choices, he regretted his actions, and he tried to repent. He tried to come back to God and say, wait a minute, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to undo all of this. But it was too late. His window of opportunity had closed. Listen, folks, there is, in this day, in this moment, no end to the grace and mercy of God. For the lost, the Scripture says, whosoever will may come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those of us who are Christ followers, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those are promises to us. There's no end to the grace and the mercy of God, but there is a limit to the opportunities to accept it. And one day, it will be too late just like it was for Esau. And bitterness against God will turn into the bitterness of regret. 
Do not let bitterness take root in your heart. That's the warning. Do not let bitterness take root in your heart. The question is this, are you humble enough to admit that you need the grace of God in your life every day? Are you humble enough to realize that you need His strength to fight for holiness? Do you realize the gravity of not taking sin seriously? We all need to see. We all need to realize how dangerous it is to see what God has put in front of us and to reject it. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. You must pursue holiness actively, zealously, intentionally, communally. This is a warning. It's a warning. Do not let bitterness against God take root in your heart. Do not turn away from the path that God has called you to walk because bitterness against God will turn into the bitterness of regret when it's too late. And one day, it will be too late. That verse 12 that we started with earlier about strengthening our hands and our knees, that's a quote from Isaiah 35. I just want to read it for you as we close this morning. Isaiah 35, verse 3 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God He will come and save you. I'm exhorting you today, folks. Heed the warning and help each other. Every one of us desperately needs the grace of God and His power and His presence in our lives. And may God have mercy on your soul if you choose to reject it. Will you pray this with us this morning? We're going to sing together, Lord, I need you. It's a prayer of our hearts. It should be to humble ourselves before God. Let's stand together and sing it as we close.